How's everybody doing tonight? Yeah. Oh, there you go. Now it's like now it's like a middle school, high school <laughs> service there. Um, uh, everyone, just take a deep breath in and out. I'm I'm actually just incredibly excited. Before we jump into the text, I'm excited for Examine Sunday. This whole idea of silencing ourselves in solitude and prayer is honestly so new to me, and it may be new to some of you as a growing congregation, but I think it's so incredibly necessary. Um, If you've been outside of your house over the last three weeks, you've probably been inundated with the the rush of Christmas um, and shopping and um, just everything that goes into that. And there are really people who are stressed out and people who are really striving. And there's people who are really seemingly broken um, and we need this as a church, because if we look similar to them, then I don't know if they're necessarily going to see the light of Jesus in us. I, specifically, real quick, I, I was with my son Titus um, a couple weeks back, and we went to the mall, which was the worst idea. And as I was walking around the mall, I just saw the, on people's faces just this, this longing, this desire to, to bring I mean, not necessarily a bad desire, but to bring you know, pleasure to their kids by buying them presents and gifts. And it was just a madhouse. I went into the Disney store specifically, and I see these moms and dads with just these piles of, of toys. And I was just thinking to myself, like, this is like, this is crazy. And they just had this stressed out look on their face. And then I tried to sneak what I was buying Titus into that, into that pile. And I'm like, hey, why don't you just buy that while you're along with all of your other stuff too? But no, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. I didn't do that, guys. Okay. All right, let's jump into the text. Um, We're going to be in Luke uh, chapter 2. It's going to be verse 22 through 38. You guys, a second to go there. Luke chapter 2. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every, every male first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when his parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and prayer 
night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Israel. Let's pray. Father, we just invite you in this place, God. We invite you into our longing for um, pleasure, God, our longing for desires. God, I, I just pray, God, that you will meet us where we're at. God, I pray that you will um, speak to us as we are reading your word. And Father, we just love you and we thank you. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, in the late 1800s, uh, the famous author Oscar Wilde, if any of you have heard of him, gained notoriety by writing provocative screenplays, poems, and articles. His writings were well-received, and at the age of 23, uh, he actually received the Newdigate Prize, given to the most outstanding literary work by any undergraduate student at Oxford University. Wilde became one of the most sought-out playwrights of his time, and he was truly, truly brilliant. His lifestyle was also noteworthy. Uh, although Wilde had many great literary works, he is remembered most for the way he lived his life. Having no reserve when it came to seeking pleasure, Wilde was known as a hedonist, defined as one who believes that the pursuit of pleasure is the most important thing in life. The pursuit of pleasure is the most important thing in life. If Wilde was living in 2019, he would be the spokesperson for the term, do what makes you happy, and he would not deviate. He did not believe in monogamy as he was constantly involved in other sexual relations during his marriage. He frequented opium bars and preached a message of being youthful and free at whatever the cost. His lifestyle ultimately led him to, be in, uh, to imprisonment for cheating on his wife. Our pursuit, uh, excuse me, after being released at the age of 44, uh, he lived two years on the streets and tragically died when he was 46 years old. So tragic. I would argue that a lot of things that we do as humans is the pursuit is in the pursuit of pleasure. Our pursuits take many different forms and seem to never fully satisfy our desires. I think of many of us and our pursuits. Uh, our pursuit of pleasure may not be as blatant as Wild's pursuit. I believe that we would not consider ourselves as hedonists, seeking pleasure above anything else. However, I do believe. That pleasure-seeking in our culture is so, so readily available and culturally accepted that it may go unnoticed. I think for many of us, um, we, can, we can reach here in our pockets or we have these um, phones that give us infinite access to any form of pleasure. For the stressed-out college student in the room, studying for finals, they can momentarily go to social media as a means of release from the grind of studying. We've all been there. If you've been in college or you've been working on something, you just need some type of break, and you go to social media, you go, and you just, like, scroll and scroll and scroll, and you're like, whoa, it's been an hour and a half, and I still have to study, right? For the mom who is at home with the kids all day or is stressed, oh, excuse me, or is stressed for the arduous schedule that may, they may have to keep up with, Maybe scrolling through Pinterest and imagining what a perfect life may look like without spit up on your shirt or Cheerios embedded in the carpet of your car 
is the pleasure that you seek. You start to imagine what your life may be. And in that imagination, you, are, you find pleasure in that. Advent is a time for Christians to remember and celebrate the truth that God became a man. This season reminds us that ultimately all of our deepest longings and pursuits for pleasure can only be satisfied in Jesus. That's why he came. We see the proof of this in the life of both Simeon and Anna, two people who dedicated their entire lives to seeking Jesus as a complete means of satisfaction. Now, as we read through Luke's gospel, we must keep in mind that he is writing to an audience very familiar with the Old Testament. And in the same light, he is proclaiming that Jesus brings salvation to both the Jews and the Gentiles. N.T. Wright puts it this way. Luke artistically narrates the story as a Jewish story, indeed as the Jewish story. And he has told it in such a way as to say that to his non-Jewish Greco-Roman audience, here in the life of this one man, Jesus, is the Jewish message of salvation that you pagans, we need. From our text, we will see all of these people groups come together in extraordinary unison. Let's look how this plays out. In verse 22, It says, And when the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons. Uh, This purification according to the law of Moses was for Mary. Uh, Women who had given birth to a male child were ceremonial ceremonially unclean for seven days. And on the eighth day is when their son would be circumcised. We see that in verse 21, which wasn't a part of our slides. That's when Jesus was circumcised. And then 33 days after the circumcision is complete, the mother must go to the temple to give an offering of a lamb, or if they couldn't afford it, two turtle doves. They also, um, it seems like Mary and Joseph look to make the most of their trip Uh, as they present Jesus as holy to the Lord while they're at the temple. This is a sort of ceremony where uh, parents offer their newborn son as a servant to the Lord. And Jewish law does not call for the firstborn male to be brought to the temple to be called holy to the Lord. In fact, this was not common practice to do so. This is very important. Mary and Joseph went above and beyond almost as to say, this child is not mine, and that his life serves a much bigger purpose. Two weeks ago, Dan walked us through the story of Hannah, if you guys remember. Uh, Hannah was a woman whose desperate circumstances were transformed by the miraculous birth of her son, Samuel. Hannah dedicated her son to the Lord. The story of Hannah and Samuel was a precursor to this moment in the Jewish people's longings. In Jesus, the Son of God, the true and final Samuel had been born to save all humanity from our plight. Now, continuing on with this story, we're introduced to Simeon. Uh, And what do we know about Simeon? It's kind of interesting. Everything that we know about him is right there in the text. Nothing more, nothing less. Um, Scholars do agree that uh, that that is the beginning and the end of our knowledge. So let's look at verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Although we have just a brief description of who Simeon is, the impacts 
the, the implication of his impact is eternal. He's described as righteous and devout. And these titles weren't just given to anyone. The word righteous meant that he was above reproach. And the word devout can also be described as careful. He was a devout follower of Yahweh who was careful to obey his commands. Simeon may be the poster child (laughs) for the values of neighbors. He lived a simple life as he was righteous and cautious before God. He practiced stillness as he waited for Israel's comfort and was empowered and led by the Spirit. In his righteous and devout life, Luke describes Simeon as a man who was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Simeon was longing for comfort. He was looking for solace. And it wasn't for himself. I really want us to get this. It wasn't for himself, but for his people, Israel. This idea may actually be really hard for us to wrestle with as um, 21st century followers of Christ. Now, I want you to know, Scripture does not say he was righteous and devout so that Simeon would be exalted. Scripture doesn't say uh, that Simeon was righteous and devout so God could bless him a hundred times over. The text actually gives us, if you could put that back up, Max, that'd be great, yeah. The text actually gives us his life goal in this introduction. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting patiently in anticipation of the Savior to come. He seemed to have deeply understood the oppression and displacement of the people of Israel were going through at that time, so much so that he dedicated his entire life to wait for them to be comforted. Simeon was righteous and devout for the sole purpose of his people to find comfort. And this is my prayer, that I can truly see the hope of Jesus for all and devote myself to that cause. And lastly, the the Holy Spirit was on him. If we go to the last slide. Verse 27 says, And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom, of the law. Imagine waiting for something for so long, 80 plus years. Imagine what it would look like when it is finally presented to you. Now, in my limited experience of life, uh, I happen to vividly remember my wedding ceremony in which there was a lot of uh, anticipation. I, uh, I want to let you know, I want to paint this picture so you can be there with me in this. And I want you to know, I did have consent for my wife to do this. I actually created a complete intro video um, for myself uh, as I came into the sanctuary. And so the intro video was uh, made up of different workout scenes of me working out with Rocky music in the background. And it was my groomsmen and I, it was this highly produced video, completely dramatic and completely just terrible but great. And it all culminated with this last shot of the scene, or the last scene was uh, was a shot of the church and myself and my groomsmen coming in from the back to the front of the stage. And I had dawned on me, I got to stand up for this, the Italian stallion robe from Rocky, like legitimately. And I come walking down and my groomsmen are acting like security guards and they're like pushing, pushing everyone to the side or whatever, right? And I come up on stage and they take it off and I'm super hyped and I'm like, I'm just really excited. And the second that the music switched, boom, Jason Mraz, I won't give up. It was all the rage in 2012, all right? Jason Mraz was, he was hot. And 
right when it switches and I see my sister-in-law come down the aisle, I lose it. And I start crying. I mean, ugly crying. Like, almost like hunched over. And I'm thinking to myself, like, Matt, Ashley has not even, she hasn't even come down the aisle yet. Like, what are you going to do when she comes, right? So they all make their way down. And then the music switches again. And then there is my bride coming down the aisle. And I absolutely lose it. Like, at this point, I'm, I'm curled up. Uh, the pastor who was is, who is, um, marrying us literally has his hand on me like, it's okay, it's okay. Like, pull yourself together, man, pull yourself together. And I'm sitting there, and, and I, I was just overcome because this promise, the promise of marrying my wife was coming, was coming to me, literally walking down physically into the aisle, and I know that my life would not be the same in the best way possible. Now, I'm not going to say that Simeon did the same thing. I don't know if he ugly cried uh, when, he saw, uh, when he was presented with Jesus at the temple. But I would venture to say that Simeon's pursuit of pleasure had found his resolve in that baby. So much so that he offers praise. And he phys- as he physically holds Jesus and his longing for the consolation of his people is now fulfilled, he says this. He says, Lord... Now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for your glory to your people Israel. Let's take a moment just to reflect on this and and, and just kind of recap what is going on. Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, they head to Jerusalem for a purification ceremony for Mary. They cannot afford the sacrificial lamb, so they offer two turtle doves, indicating that they're poor. Meanwhile, the Spirit has promised a righteous and devout man that he will not die prior to seeing the Messiah come. The one who will bring comfort and refreshment to his entire nation. This man has waited his whole life to see this promise fulfilled. And when he does, he offers praise to the Messiah for salvation of all, Jews and Gentiles alike. This moment represents a hope for all who are longing, for the impure, for the poor, for the privileged, for the outcast. They're all given comfort, all given access to the comfort of Jesus. And this should give us great hope. As followers of Jesus in 2019, this should give us great hope that all have access to this Messiah who came in the form of a baby so that we can be comforted. And then in comes Anna, a widow and prophetess who is described as a woman who did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and prayer day and night. Night and day she was devoted to seeing a Savior come and did not waver. For at least 84 years she was in the temple longing to see a Savior. She was dedicated beyond belief. Now, when I read this, I I was asking myself, what could sustain such a commitment from two people who devoted their entire lives to seeing Jesus come for such a long time? It really seems crazy that one man could live his entire life waiting on a promise to be fulfilled. And that a woman who who we can assume uh, by being a widow endured great hardship, dedicated her life to fasting and praying for the Messiah to come. Why would anybody do this? Think about that. It's really difficult just in our, in our human makeup to wait for things. Delayed gratification is maybe one of the most difficult things 
for us to um, mitigate as as um, people who live in the 21st century. We just have everything so readily available. So for these people to wait 84 years simply just to see this Messiah come is remarkable. I believe it is because both Simeon and Anna found absolute pleasure and longing for God. Absolute pleasure. This is kind of a radical thought for us. And I would argue that the longing for pleasure, the very longing that we have, is not bad. In fact, I believe that God is intentional with his design and made zero mistakes with how he made us. Our makeup with the desire to seek pleasure could actually prove to be one of our greatest tools in seeking deep, deep communion with God. Now, one of the most influential pastors and authors uh, of our time and one of my heroes of the faith has dedicated the last 40, maybe 50 years uh, to this idea of finding complete satisfaction in God. He wrote a book called Desiring God in 1986 and has since republished in 2011. Uh, and in this book, John Piper introduces uh, us to this idea of Christian hedonism. And it's, it's the idea that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. I'm going to say that again. God is most glorified in us when we find our ultimate satisfaction in him. And when I initially read this quote and when I started um, reading some of his material and listening to his sermons, I could not connect to the fact that my relationship with God could meet my satisfaction. I mean, really, like, when I, when I think about satisfaction and complete transparency, it has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with the physical nature, like satisfying. I'm hungry, therefore my satisfaction comes from food. I'm lonely, therefore my satisfaction comes with being around people. So this idea that we can find satisfaction solely in God was beyond belief. I even grew up in a church where there's expectation that you could be so consumed with the Holy Spirit that it would lead you to uncontrollable laughter, which if you're led to uncontrollable laughter, that, I would argue that that means that you are in some way satisfied. Still, I could not associate satisfaction, satisfaction rather, being met by God completely. I guess in reflection, uh, I, I relegated my relationship with God merely to spiritual experiences, not necessarily my entire life. However, as I dove into his works and read his books, I began to realize that finding ultimate satisfaction in Christ meant that I would have to submit, and this may be the most difficult part for all of us here, is that I would have to submit every single part of my life to him. And it's in that surrender that I will find pleasure in God. Another influential Christian thinker, uh, C.S. Lewis, once wrote, and he's just a brilliant author, writer, great with words. You guys know. Uh, if there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, I submit that the notion has crept in from Kant and the Stoics and is not a part of the Christian faith. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of rewards and the staggering, I'm going to read this again because it's just so good. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of rewards and the staggering nature of rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord would find our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, and infinite joy is offered to us. 
like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are too far easily pleased. We are too far easily pleased. We are too far easily pleased with everything that is available to us, all the distractions, all of these fleeting satisfactions that we encounter day in and day out. We're too easily pleased. We can all connect with that last phrase that Lewis offers to his listeners. And that may be the plight of our generation. We are too easily distracted with these small, insignificant wonders so readily available. As Paul states in his letter to the Romans, we exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. I would argue that we must become so enamored, so in love with the Creator that every longing we have is satisfied by Him. In fact, it's a command by God. In Psalm 37, 4, um, the psalmist writes, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. We must delight ourselves. What an incredible command that we get to obey. Delight yourself in a God who desires relationship with His creation. So much so that he sends his son to live amongst us so that we can delight in his presence. We will never, ever find a satisfaction like that in any earthly entity. I have to believe that this command in the Psalms allowed both Simeon and Anna to commune with God in such an intimate way that they did not want to choose any other way. So this may lead you to say, I would, I would hope, How? How do I, as a follower of Christ, in 2019, with all of these distractions and all of these pleasures so readily available, how do I find complete satisfaction in him? We do exactly what Anna and Simeon did. We engage and delight ourselves in the practices and devotion to God. Fasting, praying, Bible meditation, solitude, days of Sabbath, keeping to his presence, examine Sunday. This is all a part of how we commune with God. Listen to the words of Jesus as he teaches us how to pray and how to fast. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you pray, Neighbors Church, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. And he goes on to speak about fasting. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they received their reward. But when you fast, Neighbors Church, in 2019 and 2020, anoint your head and wash your faith, face so that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by our Father who sees in secret will reward you. To the stressed out student and to the mother who's overwhelmed with her daily task, Jesus is saying, come to me in silence and I will refresh your, your soul and fulfill your desires. That's it. We have to rest in his presence. This is not a suggestion. This is a command by God that we must delight in his presence so that all of our satisfactions 
that are so, so temporal. They're so fleeting. They're met in Christ. I'd like to close today with two thoughts. The first one is we will never grow weary in our pursuit of pleasure in Christ. As we see in this brief narrative of Anna and Simeon, we plainly see that they were sustained in their life as they communed with God. They were devoted to live fully surrendered and valued God's presence in their life. I think about Anna specifically and the fact that she was a widow. You know, loss of family member maybe one of the most devastating human experiences that we have, that we go through. However, and I really want us to understand and connect with this, that God came to Anna in her longing and in her desperation and in her, ador- and in her adoration for God. He came and provided complete satisfaction in him. For some of us, we need that similar comfort from God. Actually, I'd argue all of us need that from God. We are desperately longing for a deep crevice in our heart to be filled. Maybe we've experienced loss like Anna. Maybe we've lived a life of abuse and feel like we can never be loved again. But I want to tell you that Christ has come to fulfill that longing in such a loving and tender way. In the same way that he came to Simeon and Anna as a baby wrapped in a swaddle, let that baby be an image for us to remember as we see our longings met by Christ. And lastly, finding complete satisfaction in Christ may be every follower of Christ, should be every followers of Christ's lifelong goal. In order to do this, I think we must reorient our minds to view our relationship with Christ Uh, more than just steps in order to achieve, but as a relationship meant to be enjoyed. I think about my first year of marriage, um, and I remember I got really inundated with with how things should be, right? As a husband, I struggled greatly um, because I was not a handyman. Uh, I did a poor job budgeting. I couldn't work on cars. Still can't do that, so don't ask me. Um, And was extremely insecure when it came to making decisions because of these ideals that I had in my head, I was unable to perform these tasks needed to be a husband. That's truly what I thought. I was not enjoying our relationship, my relationship with my wife to its fullest capacity as I struggled to fit this false idea of what it means to be a husband. I believe at times we've taken on that similar identity as followers of, uh, of Jesus. We at times get so, so overwhelmed with our inability to achieve these ideals that we make up in our head, and it prompts us to momentarily or permanently turn away from God and seek a life of pleasure, not pursuing ultimate satisfaction with God. If we can learn anything from Anna and Simeon, it is that they lived a very long life completely satisfied by God. They did not wander nor crave for affections in the temporal, but had their affections towards the eternal, towards Jesus. As we close our Advent series, our longings have been met in Jesus. We need only turn to him with real devotion to discover his pleasures. Let's pray. God, I pray that you will come to us. 
Father, I pray for everyone sitting in these pews. God, I pray for everyone that you will meet their desires, God, that you will satisfy their needs, Father. We earnestly desire your presence, God. So, Father, we cry out. We plead with you, Father, to come and meet us this Advent season as we reflect on your Son becoming man and living amongst us, God, fulfilling all of our needs and all desires, God. Be with us. Father, we love you and we thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen.